Hey guys, I'm Chastity, and you're listening to the Ancient Conspiracies Podcast, where we connect the origins of some of the most popular conspiracy theories to biblical history. Well, welcome back to the last podcast of 2022. Now, this week, we're picking up right where we left off, discussing the pagan influence of America. This is part three of that series. So if you missed episodes 13 and 14, I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to them first so that you're familiar with the information that I'm going to share today. But just to recap, in episode 13, we discussed the religious aspect of how America was designed, specifically the capital. Dome in Washington, D.C., being a replica of the ancient Temple of Jupiter, along with the Washington Monument Obelisk, both of which were very ancient symbols used in pagan religious ceremonies to raise Nimrod from the dead so that his spirit could inhabit the current ruler. Then in episode 14, we talked about the symbolism of America, specifically the symbols right on our great seal, the very symbols which were meant to represent the purpose of our country to the world, all of which, again, point to the return of Nimrod. And today we're going to talk about the spiritual or demonic influence that is guiding our country towards Nimrod's return. And in case you haven't been following my podcast and you're wondering what is so important about Nimrod, well, Nimrod wasn't just known for building the Tower of Babel. Nimrod actually elevated himself as the true God. And he encouraged the descendants of Noah to actually turn away from Almighty God and worship him instead. And in the same way that Christ is prophesied in Scripture to one day return again in the flesh, in the pagan religion, Nimrod is also prophesied to one day return again in the flesh. And he will be the counterfeit Christ, the anti-Christ. In fact, in Rabbi Jonathan Kahn's newest book, The Return of the Gods, he talks about the complete destruction that Nimrod and his wife Ashtoreth had on every pagan culture that worshipped them. According to Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, as nations turned their backs on God, they turned to other gods, and there was always a trinity of gods in every culture, a counterfeit of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And with these new gods came possession. Their spiritual leaders and oracles often exhibited qualities of possession by foaming at the mouth and violently shaking in an attempt to glean insight from their gods. But this possession was not confined solely to individuals. There were entire cultures that became possessed. And I'm going to share some of these examples in just a minute. And in this pagan trinity, Nimrod always came first. In the book, The Return of the Gods, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn called him the possessor, which literally translates Baal, meaning owner, master, lord. And Baal, or Baal, was the Phoenician name given to Nimrod. And according to Rabbi Kahn, he is the one who always initiated the falling away by substituting himself for all. Almighty God. In fact, the spirit of Baal was to literally drive God completely out of a culture, exactly like what happened during the French Revolution, which I'll talk about in a minute. The Bible actually says that Baal caused Israel to forget God, like spiritual amnesia, and he also promised the nation prosperity. 
Just like Plato said of Atlantis, which we talked about in episode 14, the Atlanteans were prosperous as long as they were worshiping the gods. And if you remember, America was set up to be the new Atlantis, a prosperous nation working in harmony with the ancient gods. And Nimrod also promoted a pagan morality, the idea that you can be your own god, exactly what the serpent said in the Garden of Eden, and exactly what we see today in the New Age religion, which I'm going to touch on in a minute. And with Nimrod comes his wife, who Rabbi Jonathan Kahn calls the Enchantress. She was Ashtoreth or Ishtar in Babylon, Aphrodite in Greece, Venus in Rome, Isis in Egypt. And she embodied sexuality. As we talked about last week, she was known as the prostitute goddess, the harlot. She is literally the whore of Babylon mentioned in the book of Revelation. In fact, the word prostitute in Greek translates porne, where we get the English word porn or pornography. And in Greek mythology, she gave birth to eros, where we derive the English word erotic. And she was known for overturning the biblical morals of sexuality in a culture, blurring the lines of sexuality, because by transforming the definition of sexuality, you can transform the very foundation of marriage and family. And just like we're seeing front and center on the world stage today, even calling into question the very definition of gender. In fact, in one of her ancient stone writings, she calls herself both a woman and a man. Therefore, she was known as the androgynous goddess. And pop culture today is full of androgyny. Both men and women dressed in such a way that you can't tell what gender they are. And many are also bi or pansexual. And this blurring the lines of sexuality and gender even affect gender roles. We're seeing the total emasculation of men and the promotion of masculinized women. And it's for this very reason that she was also called a goddess of destruction and chaos. And the third person in this trinity, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn calls the destroyer. And he compares this third person to the spirit of Moloch, the very entity exactly like Baal, who demanded child sacrifice. And we see all throughout history that when the children of Israel turned away from God, they sacrificed their children to Baal and Moloch. And what do we see as yet another hot button topic on the headlines today? Nothing other than abortion rights. And I haven't read his book yet to see if he leads to the same conclusion, but I believe that the third person in this trinity is naturally their son. And this destroyer is the same person who the Bible prophesies as the abomination of desolation in the book of Daniel and the destroyer of earth in Revelation chapter 11. He's the son of perdition, the pagan son of God, who will one day return in the flesh to rule earth for just a short time as the Antichrist. And as we've discussed in episodes 13 and 14, the design of our capital and the symbols on our great seal all point to the prophecy of his return. And as Rabbi Jonathan Kahn concludes, we are seeing our Christian nation slowly turn its back on God and exhibit the same signs of possession that those ancient pagan cultures exhibited when they worshipped this same pagan trinity. 
And as I alluded to a couple of weeks ago, the creation of the United States was actually the dream of the occult secret societies. The foundation of a brand new country offered a unique opportunity for them to build the very model of their new Atlantis, a new civilization designed in partnership with these very gods. If you remember from episode 11, by the mid-1700s, people were tired of being dominated and suppressed by the strong arm of the Catholic Church. And it's during this period of history that not only was America fighting for independence from Britain, but a movement was born in Germany called the Illuminati. Adam Weishaupt, the founder of the Illuminati, wanted to stop the church from being able to interfere in public life. He also wanted to undermine the ruling class and create a state from within, a shadow government. And it's actually suspected that his radical ideals were the very spark that ignited the French Revolution. And the French formed a new society with an atheistic worldview absent of any Christian influence. Now, in Dr. Thomas Horn's latest book, Zeitgeist 2025, he too talks about spiritual influences, and he also draws a connection to this influence affecting entire cultures, and he used the French Revolution to prove that spirits have guided countries in the past. He quotes a historian named Cazot from the time period of the French Revolution, who's on record as saying, quote, It appeared to us that the French Revolution came under the influence of an egregore, unquote. Now, egregore is the Greek word for watcher or fallen angel, a spiritual principality. And it grew in people such a hatred that French revolutionaries marched into the church at Notre Dame and put a statue of their nude goddess of reason right on the altar. And then they beheaded tens of thousands of Christians in the guillotines. And this happened again in the 1930s in Nazi Germany under the rule of Hitler. There is no doubt that Hitler and his Reich were also under the influence of what Dr. Tom Horn calls dark supernaturalism. Now, once the Illuminati were discovered and disbanded in 1787, Adam Weishaupt fled, but not before he had already established contact with leading figures in the United States. There are actually three letters on record to Benjamin Franklin, and in them, the Illuminati asked permission to set up a colony in Elysium, their code name for the United States. Now, there is no record of the Illuminati ever having made it to Elysium or setting up a colony here. However, their symbolism definitely did. As I mentioned in episode 12, Adam Weishaupt had a weakness for the ancient Athenians and their ideals, and therefore the Illuminati worshipped the owl, which was the ancient representation of Athena, the goddess of wisdom. She was also known as the goddess of reason that the French exalted during the French Revolution. And not only is this microscopic owl located right on the front of our dollar bill, but I mentioned in episode 13 that Thomas Jefferson specifically requested that the Capitol building be built and embellished, quote, with Athenian taste, looking far beyond the range of Athenian destinies, unquote. 
And not coincidentally, there's a modern secret society who is also known for worshiping an owl. And this secret society is supposedly an invitation-only men's club for the global elite, the very people in power who determine presidents and global politics. In the year 2000, Alex Jones was able to infiltrate the Bohemian Grove in California and captured video footage of their cremation of care ceremony, which is done at the base of a 40-foot owl shrine. And during this ceremony, members dressed like the KKK cast their cares onto the effigy of a human body and then burn it at the foot of the idol while supposedly chanting, There is only one goddess who can help us. Only one true deity. And of course, they too are referencing the goddess of wisdom, Athena, represented by the owl. And that's not all. The Illuminati code word for the United States is found inside of another well-known secret society, which started as a fraternity in Yale University called the Skull and Bones. The founder of Skull and Bones, William Russell, was believed to have founded the secret society after studying in Germany for a year, where the Illuminati originated. And past members of Skull and Bones include John Kerry and both of the President Bushes. And this is an important connection, which I'm going to expound on in just a minute. In 2001, journalists from the New York's Observer, equipped with night vision video equipment, was able to record the shocking initiation rite within Skull and Bones. And in it, initiates were told that they must die to the barbarian world and be born in the Elysium Company of the Order. Elysium being that Illuminati code word for the United States. But it also comes from Greek influence. Elysium was believed to be the afterlife ruled by Kronos, who I've mentioned in earlier episodes shares an eerie similarity to the beast in the book of Revelation. So this initiation ceremony within Skull and Bones appears to be a baptism of sorts, where initiates are reborn into the beast system and enlightened to his plan. And it's believed that members of Skull and Bones go on to hold key positions of power in government, industry, and in the secret service, which just so happens to be one of the original goals of the Illuminati, a hidden hierarchy within the government, a hierarchy of people in positions of power with a hidden agenda and a secret destiny in mind for our country. And this brings us full circle to the spiritual principalities which are currently directing our country towards its ultimate goal. 2001 was not only the year that the New York's Observer recorded the shocking initiation ceremony of Skull and Bones, but it also happens to be the year that its former member, George W. Bush, was elected president and made a very curious reference in his inauguration speech. We know the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. Do you not think an angel rides in the whirlwind and directs this storm? This work continues. The story goes on. And an angel still rides in the whirlwind and directs this storm. Now, his statement is credited to a Virginia statesman who had written this exact phrase to Thomas Jefferson after the Declaration of Independence was signed. But five weeks after Bush's inauguration, Congressman Major R. Owens stood before the House of Representatives and prayed to this same angel in the whirlwind and asked it to guide the future and fate of the United States. 
So who is this angel in the whirlwind? Well, he's believed to be an angel called Metatron, which sounds like the name of a transformer rather than an angel. And in today's world, it wouldn't surprise me in the least if the names of the transformers were derived from this very history. But Kabbalism, which is Jewish mysticism, promotes the idea that when Enoch, the occultist son of Cain, died, Metatron is the angel or spirit that he became. If you remember, there were two Enochs in Scripture. The godly Enoch, a descendant of Seth, never died. He was actually the first person recorded in Scripture to be raptured by God. But Enoch, the son of Cain, was believed to have commingled with the fallen angels and promoted their esoteric knowledge. The Freemasons believed that he preserved this knowledge on pillars of stone to survive the flood. And upon his death, he became known as Metatron. And the knowledge he left behind was brought to Nimrod after the flood and then passed down throughout history within occult and secret societies. So it makes sense that the leaders of our country who were and are deeply entrenched in Freemasonry and other secret societies like Skull and Bones that promotes this esoteric history would then pray to the entity that originally preserved this knowledge to begin with. Now, as I said in earlier episodes, the two Enochs in Scripture have easily been confused for one another. And in the New Age religion, Metatron is believed to be the Enoch that was raptured by God. According to a popular tarot site, Metatron, quote, ascended into the angelic realm by virtue of his faith in God and his perfectly pious conduct. And therefore, he is one of the most powerful archangels in the New Age because he directly represents our capacity for ascension and our ability to access spiritual power, unquote. Basically, they're masquerading Metatron as the godly Enoch and using his ascension to embody that same old lie that was promoted in the Garden of Eden, that we can attain enough spiritual power to become our own god. And this New Age religion is the religion of the United Nations, which we're going to talk about next week. And it's literally leading us into the New Age, which will usher in the reign of the Antichrist. And I found it interesting while reading about Metatron that he's often called upon by people during spiritual transformation, the exact transformation that began with the inauguration speech of President George W. Bush in 2001. And is it a coincidence then that exactly 33 weeks from this very speech, 33 being a powerful and sacred occultic number, 19 Islamic terrorists attacked the United States on September 11th, completely transforming the existing world order. Now, I'm going to play you a clip of President Bush's second inaugural speech. And just a warning, these are clips that have been edited together. He has a habit of starting a thought and then finishing it later in his speech. But I wanted them to play together so that you can hear the fullness of the message. For a half a century, America defended our own freedom by standing watch on distant borders. After the shipwreck of communism came years of relative quiet, years of repose, years of sabbatical. And then there came a day of fire. By our efforts, we have lit a fire as well, a fire in the minds of men 
It warms those who feel its power. It burns those who fight its progress. And one day, this untamed fire of freedom will reach the darkest corners of our world. Now, A Fire in the Minds of Men was a quote from a 19th century book called The Possessed, which was a novel set in Russia about a character who tries to start a revolution of such magnitude that society is completely destroyed and must be rebuilt. A great reset, if you will. Fire in the Minds of Men was also the title of a book by James H. Billington, a historian who wrote about the history of revolutions, including the origins of occult Freemasonry and its part in the American Revolution. And at the close of his second inauguration speech, George Bush said, When our founders declared a new order of the ages, they were acting on an ancient hope that is meant to be fulfilled. Of course, he's referencing the Novus Ordo Seclorum on the Great Seal, the New Order of the Ages, which we discussed in episode 14. It was a phrase taken from the Kume Sibyl, a prophetess of Apollo predicting the return of the gods, the exact name of Rabbi Jonathan Kahn's latest book. And in her prophecy, the Kume Sibyl called it the return of old Saturn's reign, when the gods will one day return to commingle with mankind. And the event that initiates this return is the birth of Apollo. Now, jumping to modern day, in December of 2020, there was a lot of hoopla about the sighting of what was called the Christmas star. It was actually the alignment of Jupiter and Saturn, which got so close in the night sky that they appeared like one brightly shining star. In fact, it was said that this is the closest Jupiter and Saturn have appeared together in approximately 800 years. The significance of this event was viewed as the heralding of the return of the gods. And these are the very planets that represented Saturn and his son Jupiter, lighting up the sky only a few days before the date widely known as Apollo's birthday. If you remember from last week's episode on Christmas, the birth date of this pagan god for centuries before Christ was December 25th. So this Christmas star had absolutely no connection to the birth of Christ and absolutely everything to do with the birth or birthday of the Antichrist. And that made this astrological alignment a hugely historical event and possibly even an omen. And it just so happens that the following month in January 2021, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were elected to become president and vice president of the United States. What's interesting about Kamala Harris specifically is that both her first name and middle name, Devi, are names of Hindu goddesses, both of which were goddesses of destruction. Just like we said Nimrod's wife was known as. In fact, the Hindu goddess Lakshmi, who was also known under the name Kamala, was the very wife of Vishnu, the Hindu name given for Nimrod. In fact, Kamala Harris's mother told the LA Times that she named Kamala after the most powerful goddess in Hinduism because she believed that, quote, a culture which worships goddesses produces strong women, unquote. Now, immediately after this election, Emmanuel Cleaver opened Congress in prayer, and he concluded that prayer by saying, 
Now may the God who created the world and everything in it bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon us and give us peace. Peace in our families, peace across this land. And dare I ask, O oh Lord, peace even in this chamber, now and evermore. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and God known by many names, by many different faiths. Amen and a woman. Did you catch that? Not the amen and a woman part, which is inaccurate on more levels than I care to explain, but the part where he prayed in the name of the Hindu goddess Brahma, another alias of Lakshmi, and also connected to Kamala Harris's middle name, Devi. Mahadevi is another name for Brahma. And rabbis were quick to notice biblical significance connecting to Joe Biden's name as well. They claim that the Hebraic translation of Joe Biden's name means, alas, judgment. In fact, Orthodox Rabbi Joel Schwartz, an authority on Torah law, connected the specific date that the elections were held on to being the very date in history when the rains began to fall, which brought about the flood of Noah. And because of Biden's win coinciding with the translation of his name, Rabbi Schwartz believed it to be a harbinger of a coming flood in the days of Noah. He's even quoted as saying, quote, The Democrats are spreading the very same sins that forced Noah into the ark, unquote. And of course, Christ himself said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be with the coming of the Son of Man. And circling back around to the Illuminati, many people associate the Eye of Providence or the Eye of Horus, that eye in the triangle on the back of the dollar bill, to be an Illuminati symbol connecting to that shadow government that the Illuminati were trying to institute. A hierarchy of people in positions of power with a hidden agenda and a secret destiny in mind for our country. Interestingly enough, this eye in a triangle is also found on the cover of the Dewey Rames Bible that President Biden was sworn in on during his inauguration. It's a Catholic Bible that's been in his family for 130 years, the same Bible that he has sworn in on for 48 years. And if that wasn't interesting enough, this is going to blow your mind. Way back in April of 1992, Joe Biden actually pledged allegiance to the New World Order in a Wall Street Journal op-ed titled, How I Learned to Love the New World Order, in which he detailed his vision of surrendering American sovereignty to a global government led by the United Nations. And that's where we're going to pick up next year. I cannot believe that this year is already over. And I want to take this opportunity to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for following my podcast. It has blessed my soul to be able to share with you these fascinating topics, which I've studied for years. And this is not something that I get paid to do. This year, I learned how to use recording software, how to operate a microphone. I research and script each episode, record, edit, and upload everything all by myself, having had no prior experience. 
experience. So it's been a journey all on its own, and I thank you for going on it with me. And next year, there's even more to come. We're going to cover some pretty controversial topics like the Great Reset, CERN, aliens, transhumanism, and even more. Starting next week with the United Nations and the New World Order. We're bringing all of that ancient history to present day, and I'm going to show you exactly how it plays out in biblical prophecy. And there's one other thing that I wanted to make you aware of. I'm currently researching platforms where I can easily share content for you to access. And it may be something as simple as a subscription Patreon page where I can offer my reference materials, links, photos, video clips, and more for those of you who want to see what I'm talking about or research it more for yourself. And I will advertise that once it's up and running. In the meantime, if you're loving the podcast, please consider becoming a listener supporter and helping me do what I love so that I can share this knowledge with others. There's a link in the description of today's episode if that's something you're interested in. But if financial support isn't an option, please consider leaving me a review on whatever platform you're using. Reviews help my podcast tremendously to bring credibility for those who aren't familiar with my show. And as always, hit that subscribe button if you haven't already and share this podcast with a friend. In the meantime, have a safe and happy new year and we'll see you next week.